Amen. Good morning, Dorisville. We are just so glad that you are here um, with us. And thank you for coming. If you're here as a guest, I want you to know we just count a privilege that you chose to worship with us. My name is Dwayne Taylor. I'm the pastor here, the senior pastor at Dorisville. And you know, I'm sitting here, I'm just, I'm just, we are so blessed with worship today through a choir, through a great praise team, through a, a horn, um, through the, the young people, the students, with the skit, the video, all of that orchestrated and pointing toward the fact that this is it. That's all about Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, and perhaps you're here as a guest, perhaps, then I want you to know something. It just could be that you have a divine appointment that you didn't know about. That maybe the God of the universe has chosen today to invite you to come to relationship with Him. And if you're already a God follower, if you're already a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, just perhaps, as we conclude this series that we've been in for the last three weeks, just perhaps, God is calling you finally into a closer, more intimate relationship with Him as the God of the universe. We have been in a series entitled Four Portraits and One Savior, and that, of course, is Jesus Christ. And what we did was we took the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and each man was a, a, a follower of Christ who painted a different portrait of Jesus Christ. And, and again, I, I point out each week, it wasn't like they had a writing party and they got around a table and said, let's write the story of Jesus. They wrote decades and, and years apart and different parts of that part of the world. And each one saw Jesus in a different way. And that's incredible because that's exactly what you expect if the Bible is real. If everything, if every person wrote the exact same thing, you say, well, he's got together with this story. But the fact that, that it is different in some ways really points out the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. Matthew came along, and Matthew was a Jew, a tax collector, the, the bottom of the pond, the scum, the bottom feeder, the scum, and, and he got saved. He, Jesus walked one day and said, follow me, and he did. And, and so he, he wrote Jesus as Messiah, as a young Jewish boy, even one that was despised by his own people because he was a tax collector. He saw Jesus, and he said, I see Messiah. And that's what we learned about that, that day in the scripture. And then we saw Mark, and, and Mark saw Jesus as a servant. And, and Mark was a Jew, but, but he, he took his recollections of Jesus by interviewing different people. Primarily, most people think uh, Peter, Simon Peter. And he saw Jesus as a servant. In fact, he told us that Jesus said, you know, he said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then we saw Luke. Luke was a Gentile, a doctor. And he also received his gospel, or wrote his gospel, based on the interviewing of different people. He also wrote the books of the book of Acts. And, and he presented us Jesus as Savior. And last week, we visited the cross. And we saw what happened that Friday, one Friday, and how Sunday came. And he proved that he was God. And he was proved as Messiah. Proved he was the servant Savior by resurrecting the third day. And then we have today. The last Sunday, we have the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we see something. I, I suppose you could say this. If, if we were talking about portraits and pictures, uh, then John's Gospel would be written by Leonardo da Vinci. And the portrait would be the masterpiece, Mona Lisa. Because in the, in the Gospel of John, John does something that's totally radical. He presents Jesus as God. Jesus as God. I mean, you got to think how huge this is. Imagine you went to kindergarten with this guy. Imagine you were a kid and, and you went to kindergarten with this guy who now says, I'm God. Think how radical that would be. 
Or perhaps you need a table built and you went down to Joseph Carver's shop where he served under his father up to the time he was 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And, and, and you know, he built a table for you. And then one day you hear, this guy says he's God. And how difficult that would be. And so John comes along and writes this gospel. And John was a, one of the first followers of Jesus Christ, a Jewish man. And he, he presents Jesus and proves the case that Jesus is God. You know, we all think you know, different things about Jesus. And we, we would agree that he was a great teacher. The master teacher, perhaps, of, of history is Jesus Christ. We saw how he, he, you know, he, he did different things. He walked on the water, and how incredible is that? And, and we would see how that he could open the eyes of the blind, as we saw in that, in that skit. And, and how he could raise people from the dead. How incredible is that? But we had to go one step further. Do we believe? Do you believe? Are you ready to believe that Jesus is God? C.S. Lewis who was a 20th century um, author, and if I understand the story right, an unbeliever for a long time, and as an adult, um, came to believe in God and, and believe in Jesus Christ, wrote something that, that might be offensive to some people, I don't know. Um, but here's what he wrote. He said this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take you must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patriotic nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Either Jesus was lunatic or he was Lord. Either he was cosmic or he was a clown. He was either Lord or liar. And John makes the case that Jesus Christ is God. It begins in John chapter 1, and we have the scriptures for the screen. I hope you brought your Bible with you. Also, there, your bulletin, there's a sermon sheet. And, and, and we start with Jesus in the beginning. Let's look there quickly. In verses 1 through 3, we read these words in John's Gospel, chapter 1. In the beginning. Now, let me pause there. He's not talking about in the beginning like God's beginning, because God has been eternal. God does not know time at all. He's not bound by the future or the past. God is God. He does not know time. But John has given us a reference point of time. It's not God's beginning. It's our beginning. So he's saying that, that when, when the beginning happened, he says something was there. Now, it's kind of like this. Um, I, I don't remember my, the day of my birth, okay? But I think I can say with absolute certainty that mom and dad were there, okay? That does not mean that they started existing the day I was born. It means they simply were there. And so it is, in the beginning means this, when, when the world came into being, God was there. He was already on the scene. He didn't just all of a sudden, oh, here I'm God, and, and as we're going to hear, Jesus didn't all of a sudden, oh, here I am, I, I'm God, I'm Jesus. No, he was already in existence. I know it's beyond our capabilities, but God had no beginning, and God will have no end. And so he said, in the beginning 
was the Word. So, so now we're going to discover real quickly, I'm going to jump right into it. Why Word? Why, why didn't John just say, in the beginning was Jesus? Because again, he's painting a picture of who Jesus was. And, and the way he did that, he used the word Word, which is in the Greek, is the word logos, okay? Which means revealer or communicator. And, and what Jesus was, he was God, but when he came in and strapped on a human body, okay, he was showing everyone what God was like. I mean, you know, if, if I ask you, you know, in heaven, you know, God, take God the Father, well, what was God like? Well, you, most of us would come up probably with some kind of image of an old man with a beard sitting on a big throne or something like that. When, when Jesus came, when he came as God, he came to show us the Father. In fact, Jesus said to Philip one day, Philip, one of his disciples, said, well, well show, us, show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus said, don't have I been long with you enough to know this, that if you've seen the Father, or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you ever want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, because Jesus was God in the flesh. So, so Jesus is the revealer of who God is. And his attitude, his actions, his nature, our scripture video said, he was the exact image of God because he was God. And he was in the beginning. You know, the Pharisee, this one blew the Pharisee's mind. You know, Jesus really messed with the Pharisees' head. They were religious leaders in that day, you know, and they just really wrestled with who Jesus was. And so they're talking about the fact that Abraham was their father, okay? And so, and so Jesus says something like this. He says, well, I've got news for you. He says, before Abraham was, I am. It's really cool because he didn't say I was. See, so, so he, the word I am in, in, the, in the Greek and also in the Hebrew is a reference to God. He says, listen, listen, guys, I want to just blow your mind. You know, before Abraham was, I, I'm God. I am. I'm current. I know, I know about time, past, present, future. And, and the Pharisees go, you're not even like 50 years old. And Jesus said, I think I'm just a little bit older than that. Because I had no beginning and I had no end. The only thing I had beginning was one day when I strapped on a human body so I could be Logos. I could be the revealer of really who God is because believe me, they had messed it up. So in the beginning was the Word. And, and the Word was with God. And the one key thing here is that little word with. The word with in the, in the Greek language means to, to face to face. To go to war. And John points out something. Because you're saying, you know, the Jews be saying, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, God's in heaven and God's here. And he shows out the polarity of God. That there is, now I know this will like blow your mind, okay, because it blows my mind. I can't figure it out. That there is one God, but there's a Father, a Son, a Holy Spirit. There's a polarity of God, that, but there's still one God. It's not like there's three gods. And I say it every once in a while to help you and help me. It's because, you know, someone once said, if you, if you try to figure out the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. So, so John says, face to face, Father, Son, and yet one God. The Word was with God. And here he goes. He goes, the Word was God. Now, just make sure you understood who it was. If you look on your sermon sheet, the last verse, it says this, John 1.14. The Word became flesh and took up, I like this translation, the Holy Christian Standard, who took up residence among us, 
We observe His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The Word became flesh. Very obviously, John is talking about who? Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus was, Jesus is God. You can't miss that. He didn't have God-like qualities. He didn't have the just the power of God. Jesus was God. And, and, and if you're going to become a God follower through His Son, Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to grapple that. You've got to come to the conclusion that, wait a minute, this book, and believe me, I, we're wearing real late today, and I wouldn't change one thing the worship set. I want you to know that, okay? But, but you've got to the fact that, that this book is the Word of God. If you want to chat with me about that, or chat with David, or Brent about that, we'll be glad to sit down and chat with you about this is not any ordinary book. That this is the Word of God, and the Word of God... Okay, preserved over thousands of years and written over thousands of years, and yet tells one huge story about redemption, declares this, that Jesus Christ is God. Incredible. And it did start physically. And we'll talk about Bethlehem, and I think we now call Christmas. So in the beginning, it was God. And, and, and as if to like, like give a bigger picture of what all this meant, he gives us verse number three. He says, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Not one thing. He, there was not one thing that Jesus did not create. Every star, every flower, every universe, everything was created by Jesus Christ. And we don't have time. I'll give you the reference. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. You know, Paul writes later on and says this. You know, he deserves, you saw the video, he deserves the preeminence. Because he's God. And, and he, he... By him, all things consist. You know what that means? He holds it all together. Without God, and specifically without God manifested through Logos, through Jesus Christ, this world will fly apart. He's the super glue that holds it all together. And you want to know when the world will come to an end? When he says so. When he says so. The world will cease to exist. When he says so, eternity in a new different way that we can't see now will begin when he says so. Because he's the creator of all things. In the beginning, Lagos, the word, the communicator, the revealer of the nature of God on this earth. How incredible is that? Then we have Jesus in the darkness. Watch this. In verse number four, we read these words. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. Now keep it in mind that Jesus, had, and John's already told us that Jesus came into this world. Now the Bible clearly teaches that the world, there are two words that describe the world without God, is darkness and death. Darkness is a, is, is a word that describes mankind separated from God. Darkness. And because we're separated from God, and every person is, by the way, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. God's Word proclaims that. So we all are separated by God, by our sin. And then he says this, that all of us are spiritually dead. We're born that way. We have physical life, but we are spiritually dead. And that's the world. Those two words describe the world without God. And then... 2,100 years ago, God has made flesh 
that dwells amongst us. And John says that life was in him, and that life was the light of men. Life was in him. What a contrast. Here's the world, darkness, separated from God, and yet through Jesus Christ comes life. There comes relationship. There comes the possibility of knowing God personally. Holy God. Holy God who's so holy and pure we can't even put it to words. Simple me. Simple you. Able to come to relationship with holy God. And instead of being death, there's life. And life, life, not just physical life. He's the creator of physical life. Not, not, just, not just even spiritual life as the Savior, but eternal life as Redeemer. As Redeemer. And listen to this. Some, I, I don't know what's going on in your lives, but I talked with a couple ladies at the table, and it was very obvious their life is very hard right now. And this thing we call the world, and this thing we do call life, which is very difficult sometimes, as some of the farmers who lost it all this, this hard drought time, life is hard. We got to call it Debbie Regal. Debbie Regal's husband passed away. Suddenly a heart attack. Uh, people falling and, and bones break. And life is hard. But here's what he promises. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So, darkness and death, light and life. And it came into the world by Logos, the revealer, the communicator of who God is. In verse number 5, that light, and this is really good for you guys, that light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness could not overcome it. I think some translations say, could not comprehend it. The Greek is pretty clear, it's the word overcome. Okay? If I could blacken this room totally out, I remember when Todd Horton took me down underground and he said, We're going to turn the lights out and let you feel darkness. And I'm telling you, it was incredible as there was no light. I mean, none. He was sitting next to me and I could no more feel him than man. I could feel the darkness, but I could not feel him sitting next to me. And yet, if I'd have struck a match, all the darkness in that coal mine could never put out that light. Imagine. The light of the world. And it overcomes darkness. Jesus Christ is the victor. Jesus Christ is victory. He's victory over sin. He's victory over death. He's victory over whatever you're facing in your life right now. And nothing can change it. Listen, listen. Satan can get all fired up. And like I said, he can hug and puff, but he can't blow Jesus' house down. Because Jesus is God. He's the creator. And Satan is but a created being. Who is your face? But you need to know something. The God who loves you and the God who allowed, who became flesh and allowed his son to die on a cross, to experience the full wrath of God, that God, how incredible is for you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. How powerful is that? He pierced the darkness. He can pierce the darkness of your life right now. Oh, Dwayne, you don't know what I've done. Nope, sure don't. I know what I've done. <laughs> it was a plate full. But just like Brother Dave played on his trumpet, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Thank God I was blind. I was in darkness. But now I 
see. And that's the power of Logos, the Word, the Revealer, the Communicator of who God is. And then he goes on and says this. You know, would you agree that's pretty big news? That the world goes from darkness and death to, to light and life? Pretty big news. So, so what God did is he found a guy named John, not this John, another John called John the Baptist. By the way, no way related to the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay? <laughs> okay? All right. Or any other Baptist organization. All right? But he got a guy to serve as the foreteller, the, the, the preparer, the news reporter. Here's what goes like this. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He had a job. Verse 7. He came as a witness to testify about the light. Why? So that all might believe through him. Verse 8. Important. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. What is he going to testify? The true light who gives light to how many? Everyone. How about that? A true light to everyone was coming into the world. John's role was to be a foreteller of this light named Jesus Christ, this Logos named Jesus Christ. He was preparing the way and said, hey, there's one coming. That was his role. Did you know there's a really good parallel between his role and our role? Yeah, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. There was a people named the Church of God, the body of Christ. They came as a witness to testify about the life. So that all might believe through him. You know, God has sent us. Come on now. God has sent the church, the body of Christ. And what's our mission? To testify of a light that's coming into the world. That's why Dorsfield, and Matthew, let's just go here. Now, every Bible-believing fellowship in the world exists for one purpose. I don't care if they speak Russian or Chinese or, or Sudanese. Is that a word? Or is that Sudanese? Is that a medicine? Anyway, no matter what they speak, no matter what they speak, they have one purpose. To testify of the light. Woo! If you want to know, why does Dorsville sit at 1300 South Feasel Street? According to the biblical standard, we exist to be a witness of the light to this dark world. We do that in different ways. Did you know Jack, John was crazy. I mean, he ate like weird food and dressed weird, and, and he would look at the the the, uh, the religious leaders and go, "You fruit on vipers." I mean, yeah, and then he would say, "Y'all need to repent." I mean, he was really just kind of different because he took very seriously his mission. What kind of me? He was just trying to do his mission, guys. In this world we live in, we have got to find a way to reach this world with a light. It's not the 1950s. What worked in the 50s probably won't work today. For example, you know, just two months ago, a month ago, we did our back-to-school giveaway. That was not about pencils and papers and shoes. It was about showing people the love, the light of Jesus Christ. In a couple of weeks, on September 23rd, we're going to meet in the park at 4 o'clock. And we're going to have Sunday in the park. And we're going to have some food. And Britt's going to have some games and jump house and all that set up. We're going to, Britt and Dave's going to have some music for us. And we're going to sing some, some gospel music, some, some sacred music, and some, probably some nice, easy, secular music. And I'm going to get up on a little Bible story. And, and some of you are going to be out there saying, hey, how you doing? My name's Dwayne, or my name's Joe, or my name's Susie. And what, why are we doing that? We're going to be a witness. 
And we're going to invite people to come to a neutral ground called the city park. And we're going to be Jesus. And that happens in just two weeks. In fact, Southern Baptists in the month of October are, are, are promoting evangelistic events to take the gospel to the people and put it in a way that they'll hear. Never changing the message. Never compromising. But put it in a way where they will hear. Guess what? God loves you. And there's a Savior who died for you. His name is Jesus Christ. So we are sent. We are to testify. Now, there's something I need to remind you of. Just like in verse number 8, He was not the light. Hey guys, we're not God. It's not about us. It's not about the music. It's not about the videos. It's not about the students. It's not about this. It's not about, it's about Him. We are not the right. We're witnesses of the right. It's not about the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not about being bad. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about Him. It's about Him. It's only Him. Let's run. Let's run. We are not the light. But we do have a message. We have a message to take to the world. The same message in verse 9. The true light. Who gives light to everyone is coming, has come into the world. That means Africa. That means Haiti, Steve. That means Nicaragua. That means two blocks south. It means across the street. It means at football games. It means 300 feet underground. It means students at school. It means wherever we are and whatever we're doing, sharing the good news that there's light for your dark world. That's why we exist. That's why we are here. Into the darkness. And then, into the world. In verse 10, John gives us, you know, figures no repetition is important. So John repeats himself just to make sure we're getting it. In one verse, he gives us the incarnation. He was in the world. God became man in the world. We have creation. He was the creating agent. And the world was created through him. And then we have rejection. Because just like you heard in the skit, accepting or rejecting Jesus Christ is a personal choice. It's a personal choice. If I was doing it, I would have said, I don't make robots. Everybody's going to be a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the way I've decreed it. But God didn't do that. Nor did God want that. He wanted each one of you here today. Everyone listening on the sound of the radio waves right now. In fact, everyone in the world. He wanted us to have a free choice. So he gave us free will. And he said we have the right to accept or reject Jesus Christ. But can I just give you something? Do not let the actions or attitude of some people who call themselves Christians determine what you do with Jesus Christ. Jesus has never failed you. He's never hurt you. He's never lied about you. Never. And he never will. We're human. We mess up. I was talking to a lady the other day. I won't go to church. I'm like hypocrites. And she said, I'll never come to your church because of something that happened. Just don't judge God by us. I would hope that we would be a lot like God, but the truth is, sometimes we're not. Because I promise you, you know, after this life and the last heartbeat, you know, 
one day you're going to find out all this stuff is true and you're standing before God and he won't say this, but hypothetically he says, okay, so tell me again, why should I let you into heaven? And, and you say, well, I went to Dorsville one time or, or I did this, but I did receive your son because those, those Christians. Oh, it's the Christians. I'm sorry, come on in. It ain't going to happen, folks. Because the wages of sin is death, and with the shade of blood, there can be no remissions of sin. Without the Redeemer applied to your life in redemption, you will spend eternity separated from God. It's Jesus or nothing. In the words of C.S. Lewis, he has not left that open, open to us. We don't get the option of saying he's a good guy. He is King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. And he is God. Now, verse number 11 said he, he came into his own and his own people did not receive him. But verse 12, just like I love six, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, this is huge. This is huge. Let me read 11 Titus 12. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all. To everyone who did receive him, he gave them the right, in the Greek, he gave them the authority to be children of God. He said his people rejected him. But to every person who said, I believe that I have sinned. I know that I have sinned. I know God is holy. I know I deserve separation from God. But I believe Jesus Christ is God. I believe he came, he lived, he died for me. I, I believe he resurrected on the third day. And I commit myself to following him. I commit myself to following him. To every person, he gives the right, the authority to be children of God. That's incredible. That's incredible. I was listening to a, a, a preacher preach. And it just happens to be one of my favorite verses. Because it's so cool. Because once again... When we think about relationship with God, we sometimes think about rules and regulations. We think about, you know, He'll zap you if you mess up. He'll, he'll stop loving you if you mess up. And, if you, you know, you can't have... Listen to this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Paul's writing to the church at Rome. And he's going to say, so, so I need to convey the relationship that, that God offers with himself. And Father just didn't get the job done. Father is sternness. Father is distance. Father is away. What can I do? And he borrows an Aramaic word. And it's the word Abba. Are you ready for this? I, I preach this, other preachers preach this, but I don't think we get it. Whereas we cry, Daddy, Father. Dad, Father. God says, I want to bring you into a relationship with me, not just a stern, I'm the Father relationship. I want to be your daddy. I want to be your dad. And I don't, I don't know what images that conjure up. I know in the South, the word father was stern. One of the things that Jennifer still does, my middle daughter, 
Of all the children, all the children, like all three of them, I was proud of them. But her and her alone, she and she alone, called me daddy. It was always special. I never called my daddy daddy. It was dad, maybe. But it was just separation. And to me, that word daddy meant she sees me in a different light, a more personal light, a more intimate light. A light that says, I can crawl up in your lap, and you're going to put your arms around me, and when my life is hurting so bad, you're going to love me. And that's the relationship that God is calling you into. That's a incredible thought. But you have a right to be children of God. Yes, your father. And yes, your dad. How incredible. And all this, the Messiah, the servant, the Savior, Jesus as Logos, as God, is all about your relationship with him. I mean, this whole book, actually, can I say this library of 66 books? This, this library of books, from Genesis to Revelation has one thing, redemption. The whole story is about God bringing you into relationship with Him. The most unlikely candidates, because, hey, we don't like the Word, but we are like totally depraved. Spiritually, I've got nothing to bring to God on my own. Nothing. And in that condition, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, sinless life, laid his life down on the cross, proved he was God on the third day by resurrection, and is coming back as our King. And that's the invitation today. What are you going to do with that information? If you're here today, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I know that's church talk. Have you ever come to a point, and maybe today's that day when you say, you know what? I, you're right, I'm a sinner. And you know what? I'm a darkness. And I'm spiritually dead. I'm separated from God. And do I understand you correctly? That if I will believe in the name, if I will, if I will go from saying yes, that's a chair, and and it holds me up, to actually sitting in it and believing, this is believing, this is trusting, that it will hold me up. If I will go this far, then what if I'm hearing you right? Even though I've been a drunk, even though I've been an addict, an abuser, an adulterer, you're saying, Dwayne, that, that if I will come to grips with the fact that I've sinned against God, and that God loves me, and has made a way that I can have forgiveness of sins, and if I'll turn from my sin, the R word, repentance, is in a fire escape deal, if I'll turn from my sin and commit to following Christ, I can have a relationship with God. Is that what you're saying? I go to church like 85 times a year. I hope you do. That's in the book. Do I, do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? Hey, we're baptizing three people tonight. And you're in the Hagen report. You've got to come back tonight. The Baptist has nothing to do with going to heaven. Do I have to be a Baptist? No. That's okay. I mean, you know, there's no nominations in heaven. I mean, we're just believers in Jesus. No, it's. I've sinned. I turn from my sin. I believe that Jesus is God. He died for me and resurrected for me. 
and I'm going to follow him. Why not? This is mostly what church I've been after America. Come on in. Bring every friend you got. I speak Dale's Spanish. I was very impressed with the choir singing Spanish. I can't speak English. I'm Hispanic. Come on in. I live two blocks south in the apartment. Come on in. I live in I live over here in the nicer part of town. Come on in. I live, I belong to the country club. I own the country club. Come on in. God has hung out the welcome sign that all who believe in his name. He gives the authority and the right to the children of God. Your only part of this is choice. He's calling. He's inviting choice. Rejection or acceptance. In just a minute, my friend Brent's going to be standing right now in front here. I'm going to have everybody on God ahead for a day. He's going to come up with a praise team. And, and they're going to sing something. And we will invite you. If you want to know more about receiving Jesus Christ as Savior, we're going to tell you how to do that. We have some friends down here who will take the Word of God and show you. It's not complicated. It's not hard. But it is wild. It is wild. And that's just the beginning, by the way. You know, you just start a journey. My friend Randy just started a journey a couple weeks ago. He's getting baptized tonight. It starts an incredible life journey. But we want you to know our best friend, Jesus Christ. And if you never have been baptized, I, I trusted Jesus for him. That's that first step of obedience. That's, that's your first opportunity to say, Jesus, you are Lord. You're the boss of my life. And if you've never been baptized, we'd love to talk to you about that. It has nothing to do with your salvation. But it's really for the first step of saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. And maybe you're here today, and you've been visiting with us for a while, and, and you know, you're ready to come a part of the family. You know, we would love to invite you to come and be a member of our church family. We love all people. When you come twice, I told somebody, you come twice, your family. But we invite you to membership. That's kind of like, like responsibility and accountability. And we invite you to be a part of our team to come and work with us and serve us. We invite you to do that. Would you invite your hands right there? Father, I sure thank you for the privilege of sharing your word today. Jesus, this is like incredible. It just is. God became man and took up resonance among us. And we have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You are God. And you are life, and you are life too. And you come into this dark world and this dead world to bring life and life. And you're inviting men, women, and children, students today to come into relationship. Give them the courage to take that step. Just like Matthew did, we left his tax office and followed you. Give them that courage. Well, there's someone here who's wrestled with obedience to baptism. May today be the day. May you come over open all fear for them. And then they will be here. Follow if you're speaking to folks about joining our fellowship. Oh, how we open our arms and welcome them to our family. We love you, God. Thanks for being so incredible. In Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.